Thank you for joining us for Colossians Rooted in Christ. Let's prepare our hearts for what God has to say to us today, and please give a warm welcome to Pastor Brian Hopkins. Hi, Journey. It's really, really good to see all of you here today, especially maybe if you're a guest with us for the first time. Delighted to be with you today. Uh, We're in week three of a six-week series through the book of Colossians, Rooted in Christ, we're calling it, because that's the goal, that we would all be rooted in Jesus Christ, not rooted in anything else except him. Could I start today with a little show of hands survey? Up for that? Uh, That was not very wholehearted. Are you up for that? Okay, here we go. Well, we'll see. How many of you have felt at one time or another in your Christian walk that your relationship with Jesus Christ was marked in lots and lots of ways by long lists of hoops that you felt you had to jump through to please God, perhaps long lists of do's and don'ts, things you had to do and not do to please God? Perhaps the way that you knew that you were close to God was because you were keeping a list and checking it twice or three times or four times. How many of you have felt at some point in your life that your faith in Jesus Christ has been marked by lists of hoops and do's and don'ts? Show of hands, right? Yeah, whole, yeah, lots, lots of us. Yep, that's it. Thanks for your candor. Maybe some of you uh, were part of traditions that said things like this. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls or guys who do, right? Anyone from that outfit? Yeah. How many of you, keep, let's keep the show of hands thing going. How many of you grew up in faith traditions where things like going to movies was way off limits? Any, anyone? Yeah, there's a few. You're in recovery, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. How about anyone who ever maybe had a run-in with somebody from the playing cards or evil tradition? Anybody? Anybody? Had, yeah, I did one time. I didn't even know playing cards were evil. Did, did you know that? I didn't. I was 10 years old, and uh, I had finished playing. I was learning to play solitaire when I was 10 years old. Now, some of you will have no idea what I'm about to say, but that was back in the day when solitaire was not a computer game, right? This is when you actually used cards, and it was a bummer because you had to like stack them all up. It took forever. You know, you couldn't just press a button and say new game and start over, And I was learning to play solitaire with actual playing cards and I was done playing and I put the deck of cards back in the box. I'm a little OCD so they would have been perfectly tucked in there, tucked it in. And I set the deck of cards on a card table, uh, a coffee table at some people's house who we were at. And there was a Bible on top of that coffee table and I set the cards on top of the Bible. And I had no idea what I had just done. And I set them down and I went to you know, go play, do something else that 10-year-olds do. And I came back a little while later to get my deck of cards and they were gone. I was like, Where, where's, where's my cards? And I don't even know how the people who owned that house actually picked them up because they would have never touched them. I don't know if they used tongs or something. But so I went scouring around the house looking for them and I found them and they were all wrapped up in a brown uh, grocery bag paper. They had cut up brown grocery bag paper, wrapped it around the deck of cards, and then they took uh, packaging tape, the clear packaging tape. I call it cutting torch tape because you just can't get through it with anything but a cutting torch. And they wrapped it up so tightly, and I didn't even know they were my cards, and then I got to, I was like, oh, but that's my cards right there. And I asked my mom and dad, are those my cards? They're like, yep, those are your cards. I was like, what, what? They're like, they're evil, son. Your cards are evil. And so they put them here far. Never put the cards on the Bible again, please. Because the evil like leaks out of the cards and spills on everything. Who knew? 
Who knew? Some of you learned something today. Playing cards are evil. And ever since the beginning of the Christian faith, all the way to this moment right here, there's been this really highly alluring temptation to create all kinds of hoops for people to jump through in order for them to measure and track and tally exactly how they're doing in their relationship with God. Rules by which they measure how closely they're walking with Jesus Christ. And it's hoops and it's rules and it's do's and it's don'ts. But at the end of the second chapter of Paul's letter to the church in the community of Colossae, a letter meant by God to be circulated to every church, every follower of Jesus Christ the world over, Paul steps right into the middle of the controversy over the hoops and the rules and the do's and the don'ts that get added to the Christian faith. And you can sort of envision him putting his hands on his hips and shaking his head saying, don't do it. Don't create hoops. Don't live your life trying to please God by a list of do's and don'ts because those things will not root you in Christ. That's why he says it. All those hoops, all those do's, all those don'ts will not root you deeper in Christ. They only serve to root you deeper in the world. Listen to the man himself. Colossians chapter two, starting in verse 20. You have died with Christ. We who are in Christ have died with Christ. And he has set you free. By that death that he died on the cross, he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Look, Christian Paul's saying, Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of your sin, all of my sin. I want you to do a little exercise right now. Get in your head right now. This will be a little uncomfortable. Get in your head right now the deepest, darkest sin that you have committed. It hurts, I know. You got it? Jesus died on the cross for that. All of that. And I know some of us some days were like, I'm not sure he died for that. I'm not sure I can crawl out from under that. You don't know, Brian, what, no, really. Jesus died for all of it. Every last bit of it. And by so doing, he freed you. And he freed me from the power of that sin. Deepest, darkest sin. And us keeping long lists of rules, us trying to jump through a bunch of hoops to perform our way to God cannot ever make us any more free than Jesus already has. He did it. And the essence of this text that Paul's driving us to is that Jesus died. We know that. And by so doing, he triumphed over all those rulers, all those powers that help us, held us captive to our deepest, darkest sin, our most damaging habits, which means something absolutely spectacular. It means we triumphed over all that darkness via Christ's triumph 
We triumphed because he triumphed. Our sinful nature was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the dominion that sinful nature held over us one time has been put to death. Now, that doesn't mean that we never sin, does it? Don't we wish? Nor does it mean that we are free from every guideline that God ever gave us. Paul's talking very specifically about hoops and rules and checklists that belong not to God, but belong to the world. Man-made stuff, human-concocted stuff, stuff that ultimately doesn't root us deeper in Christ, rather stuff that cuts us off from Christ. The example, if you recall, of the hoops and rules that Paul gives in Colossians 2, they're related to food and drink, right? Don't eat, don't touch, don't taste, right? Some would actually argue, I read some scholars this week, scholars argue that he's also possibly talking there about this little thing called S-E-X, too. I spelled it because I want to keep our G rating, right? So there was apparently, understand this, around the Colossian church, there were some people who were making up these hoops and rules about what food they ate, what drink they drank, whether or not they engaged in SEX, and their hoop making and their rule making probably extended beyond those things into all kinds of other realms, but Paul chooses these three as examples. And then he calls a little time out. Following Jesus, he says, does not mean that you're supposed to shut yourself up in any kind of purity cocoon because that doesn't root you in Christ either. As a matter of fact, look at what Paul tells the church in the community of Corinth. Another letter he wrote to another church. Look at what he says. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. Have have at it. Any meat whatsoever. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Paul's saying there's other things that cause us to be rooted in Christ and food doesn't happen to be one of those things. There are some things though that are demonstrative of us being rooted in Christ. And he goes to Romans, the letter to the church at Rome, chapter 14, verse eight. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. These are things that are indicative of lives that are rooted in Christ. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. You're rooted in Christ if you belong to the Lord. And then he goes on, Romans 14, 6. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord since they give thanks to God before eating. So you're rooted in Christ if you belong to the Lord. You're rooted in Christ if you give thanks to God no matter what you eat, no matter what you drink. And then he goes on, Romans 14, 15. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, and then let's just for the sake of conversation insert parenthetically here, drink as well, because that's often a stumbling block. If another believer is distressed by what you eat or drink, you are not acting in love if you eat it or drink it. Don't let your eating or your drinking ruin someone for whom Christ died. So being rooted in Christ, the indicators, some of the indicators, is that you belong to the Lord. That you give thanks to God. No matter what you eat or drink, you just thank him for it. Holy cow, God, look at everything you've given us. And you act in love. Not just about the eating and drinking thing, just in general. You act in love. We act in love. Being rooted in Christ is belonging to the Lord, giving thanks to God, acting in love. One more, check this out, 1418 of Romans. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God. 
and others will approve of you too. You're rooted in Christ. If you belong to the Lord, you have a relationship with him. You're his son. You're his daughter. Giving thanks to God. Acting in love. Serving Christ. That's the essence of being rooted in Christ. It's not about keeping track of what you eat or drink. It's about being rooted in Christ. Not jumping through a bunch of hoops. Not keeping lists of rules. We belong to the Lord. We give thanks to God, we act in love, we serve Christ. And then Paul does something a little stern here. He says all these hoops, all these rules, he's gonna give them a stern evaluation in Colossians 2.22, look at what he says. Such rules are mere human teaching about things that deteriorate as we use them. Very critical, they don't, really matter, guys. They don't last, they're not eternal, they wear out, they wear down, they wear thin, they're not made to endure because they're not of God. They're man-made. We dredged this stuff up, we made this stuff up. Paul's actually echoing something that Jesus said quite a bit more crassly. Jesus said it quite a bit more crassly in Mark chapter seven, verse 19. He's talking about the same conversation. Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. Yes, Jesus just said that. He said that. And Paul says the very same thing. He's echoing Christ. Any kind of human-made hoops, any kind of human-made list of rules that ultimately serve to disconnect you from God, they belong in the sewer. Flush it away. Get rid of it. It's ugly. Now, I have no doubt that there are some who would love for me to stop this sermon in this very place. Just throw it into park right here. Why? Because they just heard me talk about Paul telling us to flush all those hoops and all those rules that make following Jesus kind of difficult sometimes, right? Because there are people who think that God's only goal in life is to kill all the fun that we ever want to have, right? Any of those here today? No, keep your hands down. Do not raise your hand. But there's something much deeper than just a condemnation of hoops and rules man-made that Paul's trying to get us to uncover and recognize and press into. He's actually trying to help us get to the root of where this Christian hoop creation, this Christian rule making, where it comes from. And it's this place right here. He's trying to warn us off, wave us off. He's saying, do-it-yourself religion is very dangerous and very perilous to your faith in God. There's great peril to a do-it-yourself religion that you just concoct and you add a little of this and you add a little of that and you add a little of this. Paul's saying, uh-uh, stop. Stop. It's very perilous for any of us to create any kind of do-it-yourself religion. And I know like do-it-yourself is all the rage these days, right? Everything is do-it-yourself. It's stunning to me the things that people are doing themselves. Did you hear about the do-it-yourself logger by any chance? I actually used to be a, a logger and I would never recommend doing it yourself. This guy has a tree in his yard that he needs to fall. 
uh, the big old tree. It's leaning against his house. Instead of hiring a professional, he goes to the local hardware store and calculates that he could save himself a whole bunch of money by just buying himself a chainsaw and doing it himself. He doesn't have to pay the guy to come out and fall the tree professionally. He'll just handle it. So he runs into the salesman. The salesman sells him this chainsaw, awesome chainsaw, guaranteed to fall the largest tree in under one minute. The largest tree in under one minute. This guy's pumped. He takes it home. He comes back the next day with his chainsaw to complain about his saw. One minute my foot, the guy says. I started cutting down that tree yesterday at lunchtime. Six hours later, I only managed to get halfway through the tree. The salesman's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Let me, let me have the chainsaw. Perhaps the carburetor's out of adjustment. Let me check. Salesman pulls the starter cord. The chainsaw roars to life. My gosh, exclaims the startled man. What's that noise? <laughs> Some of you have not even gotten that yet. Tomorrow sometime you can call me and tell me that you got it. Because sometimes do-it-yourself is not all that it's cracked up to, to be. He hadn't started the chainsaw. Yeah, see, there, you got it. And Paul says, there's great peril in do-it-yourself religion. It isn't even close to being all that it's cracked up to be. Why? Because do-it-yourself religion puts who at the center of it? You. Do-it-yourself religion puts you at the center. And if that's the case, it's doomed to fail. Understand, please, that in Colossians chapter 2, Paul's not saying that we should flush moral standards. Not even close. Instead, he's warning us that our lives lived jumping through religious performance hoops, obedience to rigorous rules is ultimately totally ineffective in dealing with our sinfulness. We have a sin problem. Jesus' death on the cross is the only thing that solves it. Now sure, with a list of spiritual hoops to jump through, religious rules to keep, some of us sometimes might feel a greater sense of security. I get that. We all get that. Sometimes rules sort of work like religious training wheels. They may keep us from tipping over, but they also keep us from breaking free. Hoops and rules often lead us to regard our obligations to God as just another checklist, which when we've completed our duties, mislead us into thinking that we've done everything that God wants me to do. Yeah, I took care of it. I did that, I did that, I did that. I'm good Right, So we can compose all the list of hoops and rules and observances that we'd like to. Stuff that we believe deeply even that God would admire if we did them. God will think better of me if I do this and I do this and I do this. And so we comply with them to the letter of the law, the letter of the rule, the letter of the hoop. But please understand that that kind of obedience does not make us more devoted to God Because hoops and rules and laws will not ever produce in us the motivation to live our lives for the express purpose of pleasing God. They will never get us there. It's just about us at the center. I heard one guy say it this way, Christ has already accomplished for us all that we attempt to earn or prove by our own puny efforts. And they are so puny and so pathetic. You died with Christ. 
which means that the powers of this world which promote and thrive on hoops and rules and checklists of self-denial, performance, in some cases even shame, they hold absolutely no power over us because of Jesus and only because of Jesus, always because of Jesus. I wanna finish today with one more idea from Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. You can follow along with me. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ. So you see what Paul did there? He says, you died with Christ, the end of chapter two, beginning of chapter three. He says, since then you've been raised to new life. You didn't stay dead. You've been raised to new life, new life with Christ. Not old life with Christ, new life with Christ. Because of this reality that you've been raised to new life with Christ, Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. Your real life is hidden with God, Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So Paul turns quite abruptly from a conversation about how people so often fall into the trap of trying to jump through hoops, follow long lists of rules in order to try to please their way to God. He turns around this corner to lifting our vision about everything around us here on earth to a more heavenward vision, heavenward focus. It's not just about everything that's going on right here, right now, right in front of me not even close. As a matter of fact, Paul's saying one of the reasons that hoops and long lists of religious rules look so appealing to so many people so often is because this world is all we can see. It's all our eyes are focused on. We lose sight of the bigger, more heavenward focus we're meant by God to live with. And we make those hoops then We make those religious rules as a way of sort of subbing in for God. After all, we can't see God, can we? And we just go, well, this is a a good thing. I think God would want me to jump through this hoop. He would want me to follow this long list of religious duties. And so we take them up and we fall into a trap and God's saying, no, 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 no. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on my kingdom. Keep your eyes on my realities, what's coming for you someday. It's already, because the kingdom of God is already in part, but it's also not yet. It's not all the way here. So it's already, but it's not yet. Keep your eyes on that, Christian. But what happens, at least for me in my world, is that life gets hard sometimes. Oftentimes things aren't going as well as we thought they'd be going or think they should be going. And we just start to get consumed and swallowed up and eaten alive by all of the stuff that's going on right here, all around us, right now, and it's all that we can see. Ever had that happen? Our vision gets what I call quite earthbound. Just right here, right now, that's it earthbound vision. We lose sight of the bigger eternal picture because we're so caught up in the hustle and the bustle, the day in, day out, what do we call it? Day in, day out grind of life. That we forget all about the reality that there's way, way more to this life than just what's going on right in front of our face, right here, right now. That God has a bigger picture for you 
a bigger call for you, greater purpose for you. And so we lose track of the truth that there's a distinct reason that God made you. A very distinct reason that he made you, every single one of us. There's a very distinct reason that God wired you the way that he wired you. There's a distinct reason that he gave you the gifts and talents that he's given you. He put you together the way he put you together is because he means for all of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ to live our lives for him in such a way that his life and that his love and that his kingdom comes into this world through our lives. Because this is not all that there is. It's something that Bill Hybels calls the grander vision. Living our lives for God's grander vision. A life lived with the knowledge that the power of the love of Jesus Christ has been entrusted to our care. Holy cow. Whoa. The power of the love of Jesus Christ has been entrusted to our care. And by the way, that's the only power in the world that conquers sin and wipes out shame and heals wounds and reconciles enemies and patches up broken dreams and ultimately serves to change the world one life at a time and it's been entrusted to our care. And what happens, God's intent is that when our vision is appropriately heavenward, not just earthbound, appropriately heavenward, the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out. And it gets displayed and it gets declared. It gets displayed through our lives. It gets declared with our words. Something else happens. People who have been lost, well, what do you know? They get found. Something else happens. Followers of Jesus Christ get turned loose, living on the mission of God right here, right now. Something else happens. The poor get served the world over. Something else happen, happens. The lonely get enfolded into loving community and something else happens, something Paul refers to. God gets all the glory that he deserves and we get to share in just a little tiny bit of it. But that only happens when our vision is fixed appropriately heavenward, not just earthbound, appropriately heavenward, with the kingdom of God in heart and mind, feet hitting the floor in the morning, asking the question, all of us, God, how do you want me to bring your kingdom today? God, who are you going to bring across in front of me today that you want me to express your love to today. And when that happens, when we live with the grander vision in heart and in mind, eyes firmly fixed on the kingdom of God, the forces of darkness in this world, they get pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. The evil one who has had his way in this world for far too long, he's forced to give ground when we live like that. And one more thing happens. Glimmers of the full-blown kingdom of God begin to come into view. And we see God changing people. And we see God changing communities. 
And we see God changing nations even because we've chosen to lift our eyes and see the grander vision that God has for every single one of us to play. And I know sometimes we disqualify ourselves in some way. We're like, I'm too busy. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not talented enough. God didn't make me for that. I just got to get up in the morning and go to work. And God says, do all of that stuff. Everything you do with the grander vision in heart and mind. Eyes fixed appropriately heavenward. You could have the very worst job in the entire world that you hate more than anything. Anybody have one of those jobs? You could have that kind of terrible job that you absolutely hate, and you know what? You can and should bring the kingdom of God right there every single day of your life. Try it. Watch God show up and do something absolutely spectacular that'll blow your mind. Living life with the grander vision and heart and mine. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and move into a posture of hearing and reflecting with the Lord if you would. If you'd let me, I'd love to do just a little, couple little things around spiritual direction with you in this time. We covered a lot of ground in the text today and I just want to distill out a couple of things that God might be talking to you about. He might be talking to you about something way different. That's cool. But I just want to walk you through a couple of things that he might be talking to you about. No pressure. The first one I'd suggest is that do you think in any way that you're living out your faith in Jesus Christ on some kind of performance treadmill? Some kind of long list of religious do's and don'ts? all these hoops that you feel you have to jump through to make yourself worthy of God. And it's, it's not even intentional. It's not like you set out to do it. It just, stuff gets added and stuff gets added and stuff gets added. What do you think God might be saying to you today? if that's you. I'd suggest something you might be saying, which is get off the treadmill. Stop jumping through hoops. Knock the checklist living off. Hear Jesus saying to you, I died to free you from every encumbrance. Here, I'm asking you the question, why would you chain yourself up to all of that? Hear him say to you, I took your sin. It was nailed to the cross with me. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to earn anything. Just live free. Live free in me, Jesus says. One thing God might be talking to you about. The other thing is what might God be saying to you about 
living the grander vision every single day of your life. Not getting caught up in earthbound focus, earthbound living, but living for God's grander vision. How might he want to leverage your spiritual gifts way more than he is able to right now? What permission do you need to give him? How might God want to use you right in the place where you're planted now? A lot of times we think the grass is greener over there or over there. I should go over there. I could be more effective for Jesus over there. I should go over there. I could be more effective over there. What if God's saying to you right now, I want to make you incredibly effective for my kingdom right in the place where you're at? with just a shift in perspective. Grander vision living. In the morning before your feet hit the floor, saying to the Lord, how do you want me to bring your kingdom today? What's it look like for me to express your love today? What's it look like for me to display and declare your gospel today, right in the place where I'm planted now? Maybe God's talking to you about those two things. Just invite you to press in with him. Maybe you've got some decisions to cement with him. And I want to go back to the first one. Maybe there's some here today and you've been counting on your own religious performance for your salvation. living out a do-it-yourself religion and you're just going to show God how awesome you are. And man, you're tired because you realize that that gap that exists between us and God is immense. And so maybe today you can hear the voice of Jesus whispering to you, get off the treadmill. You don't have to perform for me. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. Just come home. Come home to me the only way that I intended for anyone ever to come home to me, and that's via Christ's death on the cross. And if that's you, you can choose to take that step, step off of the treadmill of performance step off the treadmill of do-it-yourself religion. If that's you, you can do that today, right here, right now. And you can do that by praying with me and I invite you to do that. Just say, Jesus, I've sinned, I've blown it, I've screwed up royally in lots of ways, more ways than I can even keep track of. And Jesus, you know this already, but I'm just gonna say it. I've been trying to perform my way to you, earn my way to you, show you how good and cool and smart I am. But Jesus, hear me confess to you today that I need you. I'm in desperate need of a savior. I can't save myself ever. And so will you come and will you be my savior? Will you come and will you be my boss? Here's my heart, here's every bit of me completely and totally, entirely surrendered to you. 
I'm not holding anything back. I'm coming home to you, Jesus, because I want to be rooted fully in you, Jesus. And if you're someone who prayed with me just then to cross the line of faith in Jesus Christ, that's the biggest deal ever. Wow, Jesus, we just are grateful. From the depths of our being, we are so, so grateful. First of all, for everything that you're doing in all of our hearts and all of our lives in this room right now. For these today who are saying, you know, I'm all done with the religious performance treadmill. Jesus, I'm going to do this your way. Thank you so much for them. I pray that there would be like this immediate rooting in you for them, all of them. And then Jesus, that we would go out of here and that our vision would be lifted and set firmly on the realities of the kingdom of God and that we would live out your grander vision all day, every day, everywhere we are. we would relish the privilege of partnering with you in all that you're doing here on the planet, all you're doing in us and through us. And that God, all of that would bear much, much fruit for you. That your kingdom would come here on earth through us. Please, Jesus.